Not everything metal was created equal. What an ugly thing to say. The Metal Sucks Podcast. Shiggity Chuck and Godless attempt to bring order to chaos or just make stupid jokes about dumb people. Stupid. A person below normal intelligence. This is the Metal Sucks Podcast. Greetings and salutations, my fine metal friends. Welcome to another yes. edition of the Metal Sucks Podcast. How are you doing? I'm Chuck. And I'm godless, as are we. And this is your weekly examination of all things Metal, the Metal Sucks Podcast. Uh, make sure that you are subscribed to us and all that good stuff in all those particular do places that you do. iTunes. Just search Metal Sucks Podcast on iTunes and you will find it right there, plus all the old episodes as well, man. This week's episode brought to you by LiveNation.com. Don't miss the second U.S. leg of Slipknot's Prepare for Hell Tour with special guest Hatebreed kicking off on April 25th in Fort Myers, Florida and running through mid-May. Full dates and ticket information, visit LiveNation.com. Hard to believe those old episodes, almost a hundred of them now. Getting close, can't wait. We got to do something special. We still don't have any good ideas. What the hell are we going to do? I, I, I don't know. I don't know. Come with well, leave us a speak pipe if you have any suggestions for what we should do for our hundredth episode. Maybe like a porn star, strippers, you know, something like that. Maybe uh, bells, whistles. <laughs> good I don't for know. SEO. Uh, yeah, it's something like that. I mean, we you know, there's going to be some kind of party or 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 not. I don't know. I've had a, that's all that's on my mind right now. I got back from Vegas this week, so I'm 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 burned. Yeah, you did the NAB, right? Yeah, dude, dude. Uh, well, I guess that's what I did. <laughs> is that what is that what was going on? I don't know. It was my first time ever going to Las Vegas, so it was it was a little insane. I love that town. I know my wife hates it, but I love it. I, you it's know, just so it's so incredibly false that you just got to just go with it. Yeah, it's like it's so smarmy and so nasty and and but awesome. That's it's like makes it cool. That's why I like New Orleans too. It's it's sort of that, and it's it's almost the same in in so many ways, but different in so many ways at the same time. It's just, it's crazy. How many podcasters did you meet at the NAB? Um, not many. <laughs> I was all broadcasters, a lot of TV people, man. Right, but but you know, right. there there are a few people that were that were around. You know, I saw some cool cameras and stuff and that kind of thing. But it was all about the party. I found a nice gotcha. tiki bar to go to, and that was actually pretty kick ass. Kick ass. I mean, anything that happens in Vegas, it can't be bad, right? <laughs> well, no, no, it can be bad. I was <laughs> in there with a bunch of like you know coworkers and and stuff, and yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I, I probably made a fool out of myself, and I just don't even know it yet. <laughs> Maybe short timer here for, for you know, soon. It's like, oh no, 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 no. But I know, so I'm like, my voice is starting to kind of. I'm still not quite all the way 100 percent yet. It's like, wow, <clears throat> get a little bit oh, of that. So, oh, what a great segue. So you're not 100 percent. But is Bill Ward at 100%? Ah, look at you. Well, that was okay. So that was the big, kind of the big story. It's all right. It's okay. It's one of those things, man. Uh, that was kind of the big story this week, or one of the big stories this week, man, was uh, the whole Bill Ward public apology, Ozzy Osbourne rebound thing that happened. Yeah, yeah, because it, it's just, it, it all sort of happened. <laughs> it, it all happened fairly quickly because it's all been quiet in the Black Sabbath camp. They announced that they're going to do their like big, big, um, you know, screw you all and thanks for the money uh, show. And they're going to do it in Japan, which to me didn't make much sense. Well, but, but then okay, they, no but offense then they, to Japan, but but then they canceled that. 
Yeah, but now it's an Ozzy solo, but then there's no real news as to what Black Sabbath is going to do as a final screw you. Well, I think that's one thing. It's like, well, we can hold on a little bit longer, just a little bit longer. I, I don't know. I think I think it's kind of, I don't know. I, I think it was kind of weird that they canceled that show, but I'm wondering if it has anything to do with Tony's health or anything like that. You know, like if he's having a, right, right. You know, something going on there or if there's. Maybe we need to get a, a Tony Iommi interview just before, like, you know, he doesn't. Let's just say, do any more interviews? <laughs> oh, 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 I don't even want to think about that. <laughs> yeah, I'm just saying. Uh, well, do you okay. think Tony Iommi's replaceable on Black Sabbath? No. I don't think, well, so, okay, so I never thought, we talked about this before, is I don't think Bill Ward is replaceable. I honestly think that they screwed up in, in, not, in not taking him on that tour. I think that was a big mistake, and they should no. have done it, because there's just no reason why a band like that should should screw over an original member of the band you know it's just such they have to no they don't have to that's the whole point is they don't they don't they didn't have to screw him over well who screwed over who bill ward screwed over black sabbath by not being in a physical good enough physical shape to be actually you know to actually play well but i mean if you know what your plans are gonna be i mean it sounded like because they almost sounded like they weren't communicating at all because they're all you know they are who they are and if you if you're not saying that hey by the way this is what the intention is it's yeah. it's almost like they yeah. weren't prepping him for it Bill Ward, I mean, you he plays drums for a living. You need to stay in, in enough good enough condition that you can play drums. And it's not like, you know, he's playing for like the punk band down the street that's hoping to make 50 bucks on the, from the bar down the corner. He's going to make a hell of a lot of money. If I'm going to make a lot of money playing drums, I'm going to make sure that I'm always in good enough physical shape to play the drums. Yeah, but I saw Ozzy Osbourne sing off pitch for two hours and forget words to songs that everybody in the world knows and so is that any worse than bill ward having having a little struggle playing for two hours and maybe you got to take an intermission in the middle of it or something instead you know maybe you should change absolutely not i mean that's no difference but ozzy osborne people will pay to see ozzy in, in the hopes that he can't sing in tune <laughs> just for the show no i, I mean, was so fu- the I fun was, no i was so fucking disappointed by it it, it, it it ruined the entire show and i know other people had a different experience uh, later on the tour and said that he was a little more spot on than he was when he was uh here in austin but i mean it's I think it's kind of six of one. It's the same thing, man. It is. But now if you've got six of one over here and you only got six of one over there, you think that Tony and, and geezer are going to pull the weight. You're going to expect a guy named the weight of two guys. No, you can't have half the band show up. You can have only quarter of the band. You can have three quarters of the band show up, but not half the band. And the drums are the backbone. You can get away with a lot as long as the, uh, the drums are, are on. Your vocals, you know, yeah, you want it to sound great, but it's Ozzy. This from the guy who says that every you know, drummer could be replaced by a machine. So, I mean, the thing is, is that I, th- I, yeah. I don't think that that's, I, I think that it's important that if you got all the core members, the original members of the band that are still alive, Ozzy can't quite do it all the way. Bill Ward can't quite do it all the way. Maybe you make a few accommodations and play every three days instead of every two days. Or you 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 do a show that's two hours long, but you take a fifteen minute break in between in the middle of it or something. Like you do, you make accommodations to you so the old farts can actually fucking handle it. What what you need to do is have have another band behind a curtain playing Black Sabbath 
and just members of Black Sabbath in front of the curtain playing bingo. I mean, because that's what people that age do. I mean, that's uh, I, I, that would be entertaining. I'd pay to see that, you know. And and I'm good. that makes it even funnier because there's no way in hell that Ozzy is going to really realize that he does have N28. If he could put his damn thing down on N28, he'd have a bingo. But he's not going to be able to tell. Ah, but uh, I don't know, man. So, so all this stuff came basically on uh, April fifteenth, where Bill Ward wrote a, a pretty long little Facebook message here that's uh, that's uh, got some interesting things in it. And really, what he was talking about was talking about you know getting a public apology from Ozzy Osbourne for the things that he said when he was coming out about what uh, uh, you know all the stuff that he had said. Uh, I can't back back when when he was he was going to go on tour with them or whatever. Because he was chastised publicly, he wanted to be apologized to publicly, and I could sort of see where that makes total sense. No. Yes. No. Makes no sense at all. What? Makes no sense at all. Uh, you, yeah, he, you've got your he four, shouldn't you've, care. You've got your band leader who's out there saying, by the way, you're too fat, you're too ugly, you can't go on tour with us because you can't handle it, and you need to suck it up and deal with it. And I well, think yeah, that's uh, but when, where's the where's the lie in that? I mean, even Bill Ward realizes that he's fat and ugly. <laughs> uh, but I dude, come on, come on, come on. The guy has been in, in and out of the hospital for like the last two years. I don't think that it was fair that Bill Ward got fat and got to the point where he. He can't play for two hours, can't do every night on tour for this long. I think he failed the band. I think he failed the the fans. And I think he failed himself. And I think that I think that part of this whole I want a public apology thing is him trying desperately to not admit the truth to himself, which is that he is too old to play music in in, in concerts. Just it's just it, it, he's retired and he should stay retired. I think everybody else realizes that except for him and this idea that he needs to be back in the band is just this everybody clinging to this nostalgia that this guy actually meant you know continues to mean something uh you know put anybody back there that that at least can play and preferably weigh less than 400 pounds and i think that they're going to be just fine but you're telling me you need you, but you're telling me that the whole thing isn't just nostalgia anyway i mean that's the whole point i mean they, they go on tour do does anybody want to hear 13 no nobody wants to fucking hear 13 they want to hear goddamn iron man so i mean the the whole thing is nothing but nostalgia so part of that is having all of the original members who are alive play in the band I mean, you're yeah, not going to do it. Bill Ward is so close. Bill Ward's so close to death at this point <laughs> that I think it, you can you can kind of go. Well, he's almost there. You well, know? you can try to say the same thing about Ozzy or Iommi as well. I mean, uh, for for that matter. So, I mean, I think it's the, the same thing, no matter what. He is part of that original band, and he should be on tour with them, and they should try to make accommodations to make that happen for for somebody that's old and fat. I mean, deal with it. That's that's part of the deal. What are they going to do? Make their music slower? maybe <laughs> i mean i think it's crazy that they demand a drum solo out of them every night i mean nobody wants to hear that well exactly I, you know i mean I, yeah but I, I don't think that that was like a deciding factor i think if he turned to them and said i can't reach my cymbals anymore i think they're gonna go uh okay no drum solo you know we'll be all right that was the basically okay there was some of what he said on the 15th right you know there's the thing about the public apology there's the thing about the signable contract there was the thing about 
Uh, let's see. He's got another band coming up and all that stuff or whatever. But then the next day, there was the response from Sharon, or well, Ozzy Osbourne. Yeah. Excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's nobody who watched 15 minutes of that awful reality show for a moment believed that anybody but Sharon Osbourne wrote that response. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. I know. It's like, is that Ozzy? Look at this. Do you think it's okay? Sure. Okay. <laughs> yep. Okay. Yeah, so uh, she stopped. She stopped reading statements to Ozzy years ago. She just like hands the paper to him and says, "Read this." He stares at the blur that's in front of him and nods. You well, know? the first line is what gave it away. It's the, the "What the fuck are you on about?" It, <laughs> yeah. it was, I was like, "That's totally fucking Sharon Osbourne." It's got to be, man. There's no way. But I mean, you got to respect the way that she's like, you know, spends her mornings on TV on that, like, you know, uh, 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 whatever like, show that is. I don't even yeah. know which one it is. Yeah, I know. Which you one know, one. smiling and nodding and talking about celebrity. And then, you know, she goes home and she blasts Bill Ward. You know, that's 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 a woman. She is the ultimate <laughs> the the ultimate concert promoter, the ultimate band manager. I mean, for for doing that kind of stuff. It's kind of crazy. But I totally, totally. Yeah, she's she is the greatest music manager in in the history of music but the uh, i don't know man i felt like it was still a little bit insensitive to to, to bill you know <laughs> i mean come on man i got i got i got a, i got a soft spot in my heart for bill ward in this case man i really do because i feel I, I feel like he's still around you think he's got feelings under all those layers of squiggly, wiggly fat somewhere, hey, somewhere as, in there? As, as a fellow fat man. <laughs> You're not as fat as Bill Ward, dude. Who's got better cholesterol than my <laughs> wife does. I think there's still something to be said for what this guy can contribute to the metal world. I think he can still actually, you know, put some shit out there, man. Nobody and, in Black and Sabbath sh- can contribute anything to the metal world. And they should respect him for what he's done in the past and and. and at least try to pay some kind of homage to that i mean they're they are respecting him they bullshit. haven't pulled all yeah they haven't pulled all the albums off the shelves they you can cut, still hear bill ward they haven't pulled the albums off the shelves they just cut his fucking face out of all the pictures on him yeah that was that was pretty cool yeah that was just, <laughs> <laughs> it was fucking cruel man it's like uh, it's just a cruel joke it's like he doesn't didn't exist anymore and and that's just i think that's totally wrong and i and i think this this statement is just another uh, is just another sort of one of those things to add on to that you know i think that that the guys in black sabbath have to be hurt that bill ward isn't able to play anymore i think that a it's a it's a reminder of their own mortality and their own uh uh uh, nearness to to uh being incapable of playing and touring only nursing homes and that's you know what what that that's gotta suck so think about their feelings too i think they're hurt i think you got a bunch of like infants who are you know they're hurt and they don't know how to express it and it just makes it really bad and then you toss in sharon osborne who just loves the muck and is great at it and you know the truth of the matter is the only person the only person in black sabbath who can still swing for the fences like they used to is sharon osborne well i don't know i think iomi still has it i i I think he he may be obviously a little older and he's had his health issues but he can still he can still play and nobody ever talks about geezer you know, it's like, well, uh, <laughs> all right. You know, my feelings on that <laughs> role in the band. <laughs> well, it, well, in Black Sabbath, that role in the band is actually kind of important. 
uh, but not not a lot of people, you know, think about that part. Really, does Geezer Butler really need more than two strings? <laughs> Come on, <laughs> so, really? Well, maybe not. But, uh, <laughs> but my okay. So the part of the statement that got me was that that the there's one of the end sentences from from the Ozzy Osbourne statement was the stop playing the victim victim and be honest with yourself and and our fans. Okay, I can see some of that, but at the same time, it's just like a bit. Just fuck you, you know. It's like. I, Bill just I, I think it I think Bill just needs to like walk away and and you know sulk. <laughs> Absolutely. And claim the royalties. But you know, he's had that opportunity for what like 2 years now and and that just, it's not helping. It's Which not is helping. Weird you know? why that's why he would come with this statement now, you know? It's it's really strange why totally. that why that would all of a sudden come up now, but you know, I mean Unless he, unless he was part of the conversation about that Japan show. And maybe that was the thing is they, you know, really wanted. All right. okay, here you go, Bill. We're going to put you back in the picture for one tower poster, you know, and, you know, we're going to do this, uh, do this right. right, Now, have you gotten in shape since we last talked? And he's not gotten in shape. He's still the fat slug that he's been for years. And, you know, they're like, sorry, Bill, we can't do this. Here's another unsignable contract. You know, you know, you can claim that it was because of the contracts bad and everybody can walk away, you know, feeling just fine. But, you know, Bill Ward can't do that. You go, I want a public apology. Nobody cares, Bill. Nobody. Nobody cares about how you feel. I care Just about get the way in he shape feels. and get on stage. I care about the way uh, he feels, but I, th- I think he, uh, I think it's important, dude. I really do. I, I, yeah. The only apology <laughs> that matters is the one you can cash at the bank. Well, uh, no, I disagree with that. I, I really disagree with that. I, th- I think, especially when you're on that level, that it's it's past that. He cares about his reputation, really. I would. Really? When do, when do you actually care about your reputation? When you're about to fucking die. You know, when you're when you're getting toward the end of your life, you're like, what is my legacy going to be? And your legacy for the, you know, he's counted out of Black Sabbath for the last record that they probably are going to ever make for the last tour that they're ever going to do for the last show that they're ever going to do. That is a that, that hurts. That hurts him more than it hurts those other guys. It really does. And and I don't think there that can even be overshadowed. And I think that is a, is what's really disappointing about it more than anything else. Has Bill Ward, you know, if I were Bill Ward, you know what I'd be doing? I'd be like, you know, calling up like a speed metal band and doing sets in small clubs just to prove that I can play. But he hasn't done that because he can't. He cannot play. He is incapable of playing even black sabbath's slow dirgy music at this point he said he's got another project it even says it right here he's got an album that he's going to release uh called accountable beasts or whatever that's uh that, that he's working on that he's been working on since 2012 that's uh, that they're working together it's, he's got something he's working on so he's already yeah, doing take- that it's taken him three years because he's got so little time in between hospital visits and being <laughs> spoon-fed from a nurse <laughs> you're a terrible person <laughs> That's <laughs> true. Terrible. I mean, think it, but think about it, dude. I mean, we, if we're gonna, if this is the last domino for for Black Sabbath, right? And you got the the what is the first domino that that topples everything? And the first domino is Bill Ward can't play. If he can play, everything else changes. But he cannot. That's the first domino. It's not Sharon Osbourne's a, a bitch because that that's not that's not even that's not the first domino. That's just the table that the dominoes are set on. You know. Th- that going into it before a note gets played so bill ward has to be able to play if he plays the it's a totally different game but he cannot and that's what's gotten us to where we are now 
at this point, he does look like, you know, that the guy at the restaurant who has to move the table, you know, to a, you know, in order to make enough room for himself in the seat. And then, and then, and then to add to it, he's got these little T-Rex arms trying to get the drumsticks up to the, the ride and the crap. I mean, it's just not happening anymore. So it's just ne- not happening. You need to make a public apology to Bill Ward right now for the <laughs> statements that you've made because you're a fucking dick. <laughs> uh-huh. I expect to hear that in the next episode of the Metal Sucks podcast, please. Uh, I'll tell you what. No respect. I hear, no respect, I, I, I tell you. I, you know, I would give a public apology, but I, I really would want like the, the demand <laughs> first. <laughs> More than anything? You, you want the Facebook More statement to come out? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I would put that right next to, you know, the, the, the cool paper uh, accounting paperwork I have on Dave Lombardo. Just frame it, put it on my wall, you know? <laughs> that would be just so awesome. <laughs> uh, you, know what we've, you know what we totally forgot to do? We oh, forgot. We forgot to talk about what we have coming up in the show. <laughs> <laughs> Holy crap! How do we do that, man? Uh, well, we've got a couple of songs we're going to play. We're going to play something from Gruesome. We're going to play something from The Gallows later on in the show. But we also had a chance to talk to the main mastermind behind the band Exhumed, Matt Harvey. You might uh, you might know him from that as well as Gruesome, uh, kind of a love letter to death, if you will. I had to I had to kind of cut that question a little bit short there because it, his phone was acting a little weird. So, um, you know, the sound quality and that sort of thing. You know, we gotta we gotta do what we gotta do. But uh, suffering from that the last couple of days. <laughs> uh, well, you know, it happens. It, it does. It happens. It, when it rains here in Texas, everything goes to shit as far as that's concerned. <laughs> Any kind of connection to anything. So, uh, Matt Harvey from Exhumed is our guest on the Metal Sucks podcast. Hey, what's up? Hey, what's up, dude? It's Chuck and Goblins yeah. from the Metal Sucks Podcast. All right. Hey, I missed your call over there. I literally had my phone on me, and I'm looking, and I'm like, it's all right a lot of but, time a lot of time we call people and it shows up as some weird radio station number and they're like i don't know what that is man unless no. you're calling because i'm caller number 100 and i've won three tickets to the monster slam jam of the summer hey man i no, usually don't answer radio station calls nothing wrong with the monster slam jam dude that's some good stuff right there <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Friday, Friday, Friday. <laughs> <laughs> so what's going on dude how you doing Oh, I'm doing good, man. I'm just chilling, just uh, relaxing. <clears throat> what are you guys up to? Oh, you know, we figured that we, uh, you know, pick your brain a little bit for the next, uh, you know, three or four hours or something like that. So you know. <laughs> three or four hours, perfect. All right, all right, cool. All right, good time. In depth conversation. You should be able to get through the whole, the, the entire brain in about an hour and a half. There's <laughs> not that much there, I promise. <laughs> man, you got some good stuff rolling out, man. Uh, I would just listen to the uh, the gruesome record. Tell me about this because I want I want to hear this from your words. I've heard, seen the press releases, and all about the uh, death worship and that stuff. It really is just a, a, a pure tribute to the early death stuff. I mean, um, it's kind of weird because, you know, usually when you're in a band and you have your first album, you're like, oh, what's your, what are you inspired by? What are you influenced by? Like, well, we only have one. <laughs> <laughs> it's just death, you know? Um, it really is. I and mean, it just kind of, um, it came about because Gus and I were both sort of um, we were both sort of peripherally involved with it. That's all to her. I, I did the first one uh, doing guitar and vocals, and then he worked with 
Sean Reinhardt on the Purdue, and uh, I had to play a couple of songs with the band on those stories. and played like Back Up and Buzz, I think, and something else. Anyway, um, and so he and I met when Exhumed was doing a gig with Paul in, uh, by, uh, I think it was Silver Springs, Maryland, or something like that. And um, I thought he just did a great job playing Bad Lives and Blood, and it was like the most aggressive song in the set. Instead of talking about that, and, you know, we both, you know, had a few beers. I'm like, yeah, man, you know, if I could, that's a fair man. If I could do, like, the best tribute, you know, I would just have, like, the first three albums, and, you know, we had Terry Butler, blah, 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 you know, just drunk talk. Um, <laughs> you know, when you're barbecuing with your friends and do, like, make a really good hamburger, you're like, we should start a burger joint. What a great hamburger. Just that kind of talk. Yeah. And, um, Anyway, he, he actually ended up pitching the, the concept of doing something like that to, to, to Eric Greif, who's the guy who manages Death All and all that stuff. Nothing really came of it, and I kind of jokingly was like, oh, let's just write our own songs like that. Like, that'd be pretty funny. And um, uh, I, I wrote a couple. <laughs> and luckily, Gus is not only a, a great drummer, but he's also an audio engineer. And so, you know, his whole kid set up and liked or whatever in his jam space. So he just busted out live drums and came back to me and, and I heard the drums. I was like, man, holy shit, this sounds really good. Like, <laughs> all of a sudden it kind of went from like, kind of a joke, like, just laugh. This could be something, you know? And um, obviously, you know, Chuck no longer did this. It's not going to be a, a new death album. So I kind of felt like the path was, you know what I mean? It wasn't like that's just going to reform and make a new album or whatever. And so it kind of made sense to do like a, a, a tribute kind of thing. And anyway, we, we did the demo um, and Gus recruited my friend Dan, who is also in Miami with Gus. And, uh, Dan's a great guitar player, so they did all the recording, and I just did the. I wrote the songs and did the vocals, so it was really easy. <laughs> the easiest band I've ever been in <laughs> for me. I don't have to do shit like an example. I have to, you know, stack all the room guitars and have so. I'm on this. I'm just gonna, you know, write and just wait and start playing. So it's uh, it's, it's a very fun process, and I've been really. <laughs> I mean, I'm extremely surprised at kind of how people have taken to the the record. I mean, kind of like a, I, I was saying the word joke, but that puts it in the wrong perspective. Like, we just shit it out and didn't put any work into it because we actually put a lot of work into it. But it's more of a, I don't know, like a, a novelty or like a, I'm not sure exactly, but it, it is bizarre because it's a record that is, by a band purposely trying to sound exactly like another band, which is sort of a bizarre niche to be in, yeah. you know? <laughs> hey, real quick, our connection is kind of floating a little bit, so I'm, I'm, I'm losing you a little bit in there. Is there, an, is there another line I can call you on or anything like yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. There we go. That, that, that should be a little bit better. Dude, night and day. Oh, okay, awesome. <laughs> I, can't, I live kind of in a weird like small town kind of thing and so my cell phone it has to go on Wi-Fi and then sometimes oh. that's good sometimes it's not the best so, so where, where do you live? 
Uh, I live, uh, it's a town called Arroyo Grande, and it's, um, it's in California, like right on the coast, basically. I don't know if you've ever heard of Pismo Beach. Yeah. Or, okay, it's right by Pismo Beach, um, which is three hours north of L.A. and three hours south of San Francisco. Is that a I just like to surf type of place to live, or is that like a uh, I knocked <laughs> up the chick down the street and she got to live close to her mom type of thing? No, it's more of a <clears throat> my, my family... Uh, my my dad and my grandparents live here, um, and my mom's parents actually used to live around here when I was a kid. So I mean, I've been coming down here since you know ever since I can remember. Um, I grew up you know three hours north, San Jose, San Francisco, Oakland area. Um, but you know, it's just kind of a nice like place to be when you're not on tour. And it's real quiet, and you know, like you got to drive through a bunch of farms to get to my neighborhood and stuff so is that like is that like a thing where like i always worry about living in a small town because i'm worried that like i'll piss off one person and then i you know the whole town everybody will know we'll be out with the pitchforks <laughs> right you don't have like that in a big town anonymity like if you live in new york city you never know the person checking you out at the grocery store or whatever yeah. it, is. it could be anybody <laughs> oh totally i pissed off the entire lower east side a month later they don't remember right absolutely because they've seen another fourth thousand people it is a little bit weird like that you know um especially because my dad knows a lot of people here so we go oh you're dave's kid he's here you're you're, you're not on tour then oh okay yeah you said you were out in somewhere or other like oh yeah that's great okay <laughs> please don't ask me questions about my band because you'll be very bummed out when i tell you the answer <laughs> but uh <laughs> But, I mean, it is nice, like, <clears throat> there's a lot of pluses. I mean, you know, you can drink the water out of the tap, and you don't have to lock your door. Like, I never lock my door to the house or anything like that. I mean, I'll lock my car door if I'm, you know, at the supermarket and I have something in the car of value. If not, I just I don't really worry about it, you know. Based on the comments that we get when we post this on Metal Sucks, you might want to start locking your doors right. after this goes live. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very well may. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I don't wear shoes that often and stuff like that. So, you know, it's pretty simple. <laughs> ah, the small town life. Absolutely. It's, it's, it's nice, you know. You, you, know. Know, you know what? When we all started, like, listening to Metal... Now, now we're all... I'm dating all of us, right? But, like, the parents, when they hated the music that we listened to, it wasn't like... It was, like, cool because, the, you know, they, they we're rebelling against them. But now our parents are, like, ancient. And now it's just annoying that, like, all these years later, they still don't get it, you know? <laughs> I mean, for me, my parents get it a lot more than they did when I was a kid. Um, they certainly don't sit around, like, you know, spinning my records or the records that I listen to necessarily. But, I mean, I'll also say that as I've gotten older, my taste of also gotten older like i mean i yeah i still listen to death metal and stuff but i mean i, I spend more time listening to like you know blue oyster cult or thin lizzie and stuff like that and that's stuff that my parents don't mind at all <laughs> in fact they absolutely like it you know some of it as well so i mean it just it just depends but i think that's kind of the role of kids you know what i mean like <clears throat> kids are supposed to to piss off their parents and you know, people ask me, like, oh, what do you think about music today? I'm like, I don't know shit about music today. I'm 39 years old, dude. I have no clue. <laughs> I wouldn't know, you know, I wouldn't know falling in reverse from whatever Lord or whatever her name is. I don't Like, I couldn't tell you what any of those bands sound like. I really have no clue. And uh, that's because 
I'm past the age of like being cool and knowing about new stuff. Like I really don't know anything, and that, and that's you know pretty normal for a guy my age. You know, oh, so watch out, watch out. The next Exhum record is going to be a doom album. So <laughs> no, I mean you know I still love uh, you know I, I always listen to like Napalm Death and Terrorizer and Cargus and Entombed and uh, all that stuff. But you know it's just uh, <clears throat> especially when you're playing it and then you're on tour and blah blah blah. You, you're necessarily, you know, it's like anybody else. Like a mechanic doesn't want to come home and, you know, work on his own car. Gotta get your head out of it. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Exhumes tribute to Neil Diamond. <laughs> <laughs> I do like 2017. <laughs> Perfect. I don't know. I feel an EP coming on at least here. <laughs> definitely. <Yeah>. Definitely. <laughs> I bet you it sells. <laughs> <laughs> At least a record store day release. I mean, come on, a split seven inch, done and done. There you go. <laughs> Death metal version of Red Red Wine. Stupider things have happened in music. I'll say that. Wait, much. wait, 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 wait. Listen to this as a riff. You guys know your diamond, man. I think I'm gonna. Actually, I think I have tickets to go see him on Sunday. Oh my god! Really? With a double bass drum underneath? I mean, I'm telling you, that could be pretty wicked. King Neil Diamond. Yeah. Oh my god! Oh my god! It's a win for the win. Oh my god! Seven inch that needs to happen. Clearly. That that's oh my god that's a great idea I know what Devil I'm going in blue jeans I don't know I know what I'm Something going like for that. is Halloween I know that for sure <laughs> you can amazing. take the credit for that one too that's all yours that's <laughs> <laughs> that so good that's awesome man so I mean we started off talking about gruesome I mean we'll see what we can uh, get out of that dude. I want to go back and talk a little bit more about that, but it, kind of in perspective of where you are as as a fan, and also where you were as an artist, kind of coming up in that in that era. Because you know, when you go back and you look at the catalog, you guys started what like around ninety ninety two ish, like in there, and then uh, yeah, yeah. And um, so, I mean, kind of in the middle of the the death era for me, like death was the first death metal. I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm maybe Celtic Frost. I mean, depends on if you consider them death metal or not. I mean, it just a question of semantics, I guess, at that mm-hmm. point. Um, but, I mean, like, really, you know, in terms of, I guess, what we would understand as death metal today, although some people say that death is a thrash band. Again, it becomes more semantics. But to me, when I heard Scream Bloody Gore, there was something different about it, you know, when I heard it, that I couldn't quite put it in a box yet, you know what I mean? Like, I knew, like, you know, there was, you know, your Metallica, Testament, Exodus, and your Slayer, you know, Creator, Possessed kind of box or whatever. And then your DRI, Cryptic Slaughter, you know, Exploited kind of box. And then the, when I heard Scream Bloody Gore, I was like, I don't really know where to put this yet. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't know if I get it. Um, but it wasn't like, you know, to me, I, I think Celtic Frost is heavier, and certainly like DRI was faster. But it was, so it wasn't about anything kind of quantifiable. There was just something different about this kind of music that I hadn't, you know, I was like 13 or whatever. So I didn't quite know how to wrap my head around it just yet. And then a little bit later, I think it was like sometime late 1988, maybe uh, a friend of mine (coughs) who played hockey with a guy that was our first exhumed vocalist, um, he had the leprosy tape. And so we, we listened to that. And then I kind of, I think just because the sound on it is a little bit clearer, you know what I mean? Um, I was able to be like, oh, hey, okay. And so then I went back and I dug up my Screen Buddy Gore tape and I played that again and I was like, now I'm starting to get this. Like, 
all right. And, um, you know, so for, for me, that those two albums were, were pretty pivotal in kind of, <clears throat> you know, going from a kid that was into, you know, of, of course, your basic, you know, Maiden and Metallica and Slayer or whatever, and then kind of making the leap into something a little bit more extreme. So, I mean, I think Death was like the, the gateway band, you know what I mean? Um, and then <clears throat> when Spiritual Healing came out, I remember buying that on tape like the day that it came out and taking it home and stuff. And, you know, of course, I was just starting to play guitar when I was like 13, and I kind of went from like Kill 'em All and Celtic Frost riffs then to starting to tune down and, and learning you know, the Scream Bloody Gore riffs and, like, Pleasure to Kill by Creator and stuff like that. And so it just kind of was a natural progression, but they were, Death was kind of the, that swing band that, that kind of, you know, you, you went, <clears throat> there was lots of people that liked Slayer or whatever, and nobody really, that I knew at least, you know, in my circle of 13 to 15-year-old friends or whatever, nobody was into, like, Navon Death or any of that kind of stuff yeah. just yet. And Death was kind of like the, it was like, well, if you're into this, then you will want to go further. And if you're not, then you're going to kind of, you know, we had some friends that sort of stayed and like the creator was like as heavy as they were really comfortable with kind of thing. And then me and a couple other guys heard death and like, oh, cool. Now this is what we're doing. And then, you know, a little bit later, like a year later or whatever, we heard Napalm Death and, and Carcass and Terrorizer. And they were like, okay, now this is what we're doing. And, you know, it kind of became the push to, you know, be faster and heavier and more extreme and all of that kind of stuff. Well, and all know? that stuff was all the, all you know, you get all that Florida side of stuff. I'm, I'm trying to think. I was like, so West Coast death metal. <laughs> Who were some of the bands that you caught or saw? or Because or, I'm, try, I'm trying to think. I'm like, well, was it all Florida? Because <laughs> like, no, well, I mean, you had well, Cannibal from uh, from Buffalo. You had, right. you know, like there, there's a few here and there, and I'm just uh, 87, 88, like right around. I'm trying. I can't. Just, I'm drawing a blank. Yeah, I mean, there really wasn't a lot happening out here for that. I mean, obviously, Possessed, to me, Possessed is the first death metal band, and they're from just north of Oakland. But by the time I was really getting into metal, it was right at the time they were splitting up, you know, 87, 88. Then there was Autopsy, but they were a bit more underground, you know? Like, you know, for a 13-year-old, it was kind of hard to, like, just come up on an autopsy demo. (laughs) (laughs) Like, they didn't have that at the record store, whereas you could get Scream Bloody Gore at the record store. Um, So that that was kind of the big difference. Um, But really, uh, you know, throughout the early 90s in the Bay Area where I was growing up, there was still, like, like, a thrash and, like, a funk metal thing. That's what was popular, you know, um... Everybody was still very much in the, you know, puffy white high tops and, you know, light blue stretch jeans, you know, with the fluffy bangs kind of look with the Testament Forbidden uh, Exodus. Like there was, uh, I mean, I could name you 10 or 15 bands off the top of my head that were all in that vein that we're all trying to like you know get the record deal blah 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 because yeah, i mean what you did you know yeah that's what i was thinking i was like mainly when i think of that i think of the i think of your your thrash metal and i think yep. of your your uh, not surf metal your punk metal like you were talking about like the you know dri's obviously texas but like st and, uh, and a few of those and it seems like that was all the west coast and then right you know you had well what was what was really popular that people forget about but what was really popular like when death metal was getting big where i lived was like Shit like Faith No More, Primus, like um, oh, yeah. the early kind of like not not just punk metal but funk metal with an F, yep. um, and 
you know, every you couldn't fucking go to a gig without hearing slap bass. You couldn't go to a guitar center without hearing it. it that shit was everywhere. And, <laughs> Stairway uh, to heaven and slap bass. Yeah, you yep. guys had Mordred out there, didn't you? Yep, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. down. Like, wah, 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 with the scratching is, and all that. That's where both of those things come together. And uh, actually, Mordred's demos are pretty cool. They're like straight up like heavy thrash metal. Like the singer used to have a sword and shit like that. And then they decided <laughs> to play funk inexplicably. <laughs> but um, there's some really good, uh, some actually really good cuts on the first Mordred album. Not the, the funk songs, but there's like some pretty cool thrash with really good guitar playing. But anyway, I digress. So death metal wasn't, yeah, but nobody really was into it where, where we were from. There was a couple local bands. Um, Immortal Fate and Plutocracy um, and Immortal Fate started out as like a violence clone like one of the 8,000 bands that sounded like violence <clears throat> and then you know by like 90 they had become like a death metal band and ironically enough to tie back to the whole death death to all thing the drummer for Immortal Fate is the guy that did <clears throat> the sound for all the death to all tours <laughs> <laughs> wow! No kidding. I, I, yeah, that, that was like the band that we used to open up for when we were like fifteen. They were, you know, <clears throat> they were a little bit older guys than us. They were all, you know, eighteen, nineteen when we were fifteen, sixteen. Then. Did you get into any of the tape trading that we were doing around that time, or or did that just miss you? No, I I, I got into the tail end of it. You know, um, like most of the bands that I traded tapes with, you know, all pretty much remained like in the demo stages. You know, because <laughs> um, it was like '91. Because uh, we we did our first demo in, oh, I guess so. The, we did our we recorded in, in December '91. So I guess it was whatever released as much as as it was released in like January '92. So that's when we kind of started trading tapes, and that says you know the whole first wave of death metal was kind of <clears throat> not you know I, I guess I don't know if it's really the first wave, but. I would really consider the second wave of death metal was really kind of peaking, you know, with you know necroticism and human and all of those kinds of records, um, <clears throat> and so, you know, most of the classic demos or whatever had already been issued, and so we were kind of like right on the tail end of that, you know, we were about a year and a half kind of behind everything, you know, um, partially due to the fact that we were really young. I mean, I was, you know, uh, sixteen when we recorded our first demo. And um, and part of it was because we we're on the West Coast, and there just wasn't much, really, you know, there wasn't anything happening locally, you know. And even though the gigs that would happen, you know, like when when Napalm Death came in in '91, and when the Death Pestilence Carcass Tour came in '90, those shows did really good, and there was tons of people at them, but <clears throat> there wasn't there wasn't like a local scene of bands doing that, and there was, you know, it, we were several years behind because everybody was still trying to, you know, figure out how to become the next testament or whatever. And that's what people were into in the Bay Area. It's funny when I whenever I hear a band and they're like, Oh, you gotta support your scene, you gotta support your scene and then I like Exhumed had no scene, man. <laughs> <laughs> you guys were from out of nowhere. Yeah, I mean, well, it's weird because we're, you know, we're from a huge metropolitan area with a vast metal scene and a storied metal history, just not for what we were doing. But I think that, you know, that's kind of what appealed to me about it is that obviously at first, you know, you hear Iron Maiden and Ozzy and your parents don't like that or whatever. And, you know, that's cool. And then you get into, for me, it was, and it was like Metallica and Slayer and stuff. And that, that was cool. To me, like death metal was something that me and my friends discovered independently of, 
pretty much everything else. Like, there wasn't really a lot of magazines writing about it. You know, there wasn't a lot of, like, radio shows playing it or whatever. Yeah. And so it became our thing. And I, what I liked about it is I was rebelling against Testament and Exodus or whatever. It was like, you know, because <laughs> where we lived, that was obviously really popular. And it wasn't particularly controversial to be into those bands. We kind of had to take it a step further and, and be like, oh, well, you think Slayer's fast? Well, fuck, you haven't heard Napalm Death. You think, you know, Exodus is heavy. You haven't heard Death or whatever. And, you know, so just kind of rebelling against the rebellious stuff. And, you know, especially for me, I thought that, you know, once I heard, like, Napalm and, and stuff like that, especially I thought that the lyrics were a little bit more intelligent, a little bit more thoughtful, you know, like you had... Napalm with a social consciousness kind of thing, and then Carcass with the vocabulary. And I was like, hey, not only is this music like faster, heavier, more brutal, blah, 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 but it also has a little bit more to say than 480th thrash metal song about, you know, global warming or, you know, <laughs> or nuclear. Or nuclear. Indians, man. Indians. Nuclear holocaust. <laughs> well, you know, Homeless they're all, Indians. <laughs> the, the, the thing is, they're like. You know, they're attempting to be socially conscious after, like, hearing about a subject once. You know, like, oh, hey, I hear global warming's bad, and I'll just write a song about it. Like, yeah, I don't know anything about it, except that it's bad, I guess. You know, so they're, like, really, anybody with any kind of knowledge about the subjects, it's, like, pretty laughable. <laughs> Whatever. You know, whereas I, Napalm was coming from a, a place of, like, punk rock activism, which I thought was much more appealing to me, you know. And even on leprosy, some of the, the death stuff gets, you know, at least for a death metal album in 1988, it's fairly thought-provoking, you know. You got some open casket and, and pull the plug, kind of have some positive messages about, like, hey, you know, life is important, man, like, make the most out of it kind of stuff, you know. There's something going on there, you know, or there's an attempt at it anyway. That's what you got out of that? I, I got to know. Yeah. <laughs> no, I know. I'm just messing with you. Well, <laughs> I mean, which is the song on spiritual healing that's like, he's where he's, it's like pro-life. I'm trying to think. Uh, oh, uh, Altering the Future? Yeah, Altering yeah. the Future. When it is needed, execution for those that deserve it, giving and taking of life will always be altering the future. Yeah. yeah. There's some stuff on there that it's a little, I don't know, I personally like doesn't resonate with me, but it's a good song. It's a great song. So, like, did your uh, you say your parents didn't like what you listened to? But uh, no, we no parents like what we listen to. Did were they? Did they at least encourage your playing music or any of that stuff? Or were they like, um, no, don't do it. Become a lawyer. There were more that don't do it. Become a lawyer. I mean, but I think that they also. I mean, you know, we used to like rehearse in the garage and stuff like that. So I mean, they weren't like dicks about it, but they weren't particularly cool about it either. You know. Yeah. Um, they were just sort of more like, well, you know, your grades are okay. You've got a job after school. Like, there's no real reason to say you can't do this, you know. Because <laughs> um, we had a, a system when I was a kid. Like, if, if I got a, for every C grade that I got, I had to cut my hair an inch. And every, for every D that I would get, I'd have to cut my hair two inches. Ooh. And if I was to get an F, I would just have to get a short haircut. Oh, so, um, that's awesome. Actually, that's so a good. I, that's a good deal. Yeah, so I maintained a a, a B minus average <laughs> throughout <laughs> high school religiously. But you know, then uh, with rehearsing in the garage and stuff, then the police got called, you know, multiple times. And it was like, okay, guys, go find someplace else. So uh, they weren't supportive, but they weren't assholes about it either. You know, they definitely were like, you should go to college and not 
think that you're going to make a living out of this. And I was like, of course I don't think I'm going to make a living out of this. Have you heard my band? Like, come on. <laughs> <laughs> so what did you do? I didn't go to college. I hate college. But just, <laughs> <laughs> I should have, but it's too late now. Never too wait, wait, late. did you just Never say your late. parents were right? Oh, yeah. They were right about that, for sure. <laughs> but did you, did you, like, pick up a skill or trade or something? Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, I've done all kinds of stuff. I've worked all kinds of jobs. I've done everything from, like, you know, tech support to, like, groundskeeping, man. Like, I, <laughs> I don't know. You know, I've worked at record labels. I've done, I don't know, I've taught guitar lessons. I've done sales, like I said, you know, fucking worked at a restaurant. I've, you know, just done whatever. Matt, do we need to provide a link to your LinkedIn page with podcasts? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I'm a uh, you know dynamic individual looking to bring my, a wide array of skills to bear in a, a challenging environment with an opportunity for advancement. <laughs> what is the worst the worst job you ever worked? Uh, the worst job I ever worked. I used to work in a circuit board factory. Uh, like soldering circuit boards, kind of thing. I didn't do that. That would have probably been more interesting than what I did. Um, for each circuit board, there was like a component room, and you get a pull list with the numbers of components. Oh, you got to slot them in the thing with the... So you'd have to sit there, and oh, you'd have God. to pull out like 24 of this, and then you have to find code number, whatever the next part was, and pull 14 of that. And that job sucked. Like, the cool thing was, though, that my the department head quit, and they had no replacement. <clears throat> so I just stopped going, but I was getting paid for like two or three weeks while I attended work like one day a week or whatever. Um, I'd come in on like Monday and then like payday. And then once they got a new manager, I just stopped going altogether and then that didn't get paid anymore. But for like the last month I was there, I got paid for, you know, a lot of work that I didn't do at all. I just didn't even show up. So that was cool. Have you ever pulled a Gigi Allen impersonation when quitting a job? No, no, I'm not that kind of, I'm not really that confrontational of a person. I'm more of a <laughs> nice, Guy. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> you, you avoid confrontation or <clears throat> I try to. I mean I think usually it's unnecessary and kinda of counterproductive, but I mean sometimes it can't be helped, you know. Well wait a minute. With the cast of characters on the exhumed Wikipedia former band member list uh, concur with this <laughs> self assessment? Most of them probably would. Some of them maybe not. I mean it just depends, you know. Um uh, when I was younger I was a lot more confrontational and I had a lot more you know, I was kind of a dick and kind of hard to work with or whatever. <laughs> I mean, I think you'll find, you know, if Dan's been through a million lineup changes, it's generally because of two things. It's like there's, you know, something difficult to work with internally or you're not making enough money to, like, keep people in your band, you know what I mean? Like, I don't see how, <clears throat> like, if you're in KISS, like, how do you ever quit, you know? It's like, dude, this is, this is awesome. Like, I'm just getting paid so much money to do this. But, you know, when you're not making very much money, it's tough to get people to stick around and to dedicate the time, and so people kind of tend to come and go or whatever. But early on, it was more of a case of, you know, personal creative differences or whatever, you know. And I was a lot more confrontational when I was, like, a teenager and stuff. I used to scream at people and shit for, like, playing the riffs wrong and stuff like that. Well, that kind of comes back around to <laughs> what you guys did with the, with gore metal, man. I mean, bringing it... Bringing... <laughs> the guys back in to re-record all that stuff. What, I mean, what was that like? What was that phone call like? It was good. I mean, like, it, it had been a long time. I mean, really, Ross was, was the only person that there would sort of been animosity with. Yeah. And, yeah. and that was, you know, understandable. I think he just did some shows with us out on the West Coast. And, 
he's he's going to Mexico with us actually in, in a couple of weeks and playing bass and vocals. So we, we had a nice long chat about that, and I think it's one of those things where you know I was a dick and he was a dick, and our old drummer Cole was also a dick, and we're also very stubborn and you know it's, it's like a lot of bands when you have all chiefs and no Indians then you end up with a lot of arguing, you know. Um, again, I think the band is a lot like a car. Like, one person's driving, the person in the passenger seat helps, and then the other two people are, you know, needed and they're important, but it's like, you know, nobody wants to hear them telling you, giving you directions, you know what I mean? It's, it's, pretty, it's pretty rare that you find a band that's a true democracy or a band where every member contributes equally or, you know, that's just not the case. And It's something that... You know, like I said, when you're younger and you've, you're full of ambition and everyone has a million ideas, it's, it's great, but it's also a recipe for conflict. I was talking with, um, with Matt Olivo from Repulsion about this, and there was a time when him and Scott from Repulsion were playing with Chuck Schuldner and Cam Lee in a really early incarnation of death. They moved from Michigan to Florida. And we were kind of just talking about that. He was like, everyone was a band leader in the room. Like, it could have been the you know, the greatest death metal band ever, but instead it was just, you know, four teenagers arguing. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, that sounds pretty likely. So Yeah, Chuck kind of lucked out because, like, now everybody acts like he was a really nice guy, but he, he must have been just a tremendous dick to work for. Well, you know, I think, I mean, obviously I didn't know the guy, and, uh, you know, I, I know I've met and hung out with a lot of people that didn't know him, and I, mean, I think he's basically a pretty nice guy, but, I, you know, he... I don't think he felt, in the early days, I don't think he really felt comfortable with the commitment to, to touring and to being a professional musician and stuff that, <laughs> that there is and sort of the, the pressures on your schedule. I mean, if you look at the tour that they dropped off or that he dropped off of, you know, the Creator European Tour in 1990, that's just a really sort of immature decision. I mean, it doesn't mean he's a bad guy or he's an asshole. It just means he made a stupid, immature decision and put, you know... Uh, certainly Bill and Terry in a really bad position of like losing the money from doing the tour that they'd already signed the contract to do or going and fulfilling the contract and playing for the fans and then getting fired for the band kind of thing. I you don't know, know the story. Uh, well, basically, um, in, there was a spiritual healing tour in, with Creator in Europe booked for 1990 and uh, Chuck decided that he didn't want to do the tour for reasons of fatigue or I'm not exactly sure why. Clearly, I wasn't there. They had already signed the contracts, rented the bus, rented the back line, blah, 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 blah. All the shows were booked. Everything was a go. So they ended up going with, um, it was Terry on bass, Bill on drums, and uh, I think it was Walter from Ripping Corpse, who was the guitar tech, I think did vocals, or Louie from Devastation, who was one of the techs. I can't remember exactly how the lineup fleshed out, but there was a death tour that Chuck wasn't on, and like you know, I think halfway through the tour, he like called up and was like, "Yeah, I want to come and play." And they're like, "No," <laughs> you know, they're like the the people that booked the tour were like, "No, fuck you!" Like you fucked us, you know, we don't want you, yeah. kind of thing. Dude, was, can you imagine like Max Phelps when he was three years old? Still would have made a pretty awesome singer for. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, he does do a fantastic job. I, I was really impressed with the job he did. I thought it was great. I couldn't believe it. Like I, yeah. I honestly couldn't believe that when I saw him. I was like, and oh. he looks like Chuck. I know. <laughs> it's like creepy. It's sort of creepy in a weird way. Uh. <laughs> so, but yeah, I mean, like 
the 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 death band drama is a long and storied thing that's sort of bizarre or whatever. But I mean, you know, I think that you know Chuck was pretty young, starting out and very single-minded, and you know, uh, it's tough to be in a band with somebody that's completely single-minded. You know, I mean, and but then a lot of it is also sort of like you know, you talk to Chris from Autopsy, and you know, I've been bugging that guy about Scream Bloody Gore for like twenty years. And, you know, with him and Chuck, it was just like Chuck wanted the band to be in Florida. Chris didn't want to move to Florida. He was already jamming an autopsy. So they shook hands and said, cool, man, see you later. Like, you know, yeah. no drama whatsoever. And then the other guy on screen, Buddy Gore, John Hand, he actually didn't even play. He was just a friend of theirs that said he could play guitar. Like, this guy's cool. Well, shit, we got to take photos tomorrow. So they put him in the photo. And then, <laughs> you know, then he actually showed up to rehearsal. They're like, oh, fuck, this guy can't play. So he never ended up doing anything, you know. Um, and then, you know, you see with the recent drama with Massacre and stuff, it's like, well, maybe Rick Ross might not be the easiest guy to work with either, you know. When I met Rick, he was nothing but a total sweetheart. So I'm just saying, who knows? You know, there's a lot of... I think it's also like a Florida thing, too, because a lot of my friends in Florida, like, they just seem like there's a lot of band drama down there. I don't know. <laughs> so, Exhumed, I mean, it looks like there's been a lot of drama over the years, at least, you know, but, you know, just based on numbers. Sure, yeah, based on numbers. I mean, I think, you know, I would say in the last several years there's been considerably less drama than, you know, back in the, in the early days. I mean, it was kind of the same thing where our, our old drummer, Cole, and I, we had a very specific idea about who we were and what we were doing and why we were doing it, and we were very active on calling people out, you know, sometimes unfairly, <laughs> for not, like, falling exactly in line with how we felt that we wanted to, the band to be, or we wanted, you know, it's like, you don't want to wear these bullet belts? Like, no, I don't want to scuff at the back of my guitar, I paid 700 bucks for it you're a fucking loser, put on his bullet belt, you know, like, <laughs> these kinds of things, you know, and the things that we sort of focused in on were not always particularly important, literally, like, bullet belts, like, you're not playing that drum part on time, it doesn't really matter, like, I got bullet belts, like, all right, <laughs> um, so, you know, we, we just had this, this sort of weird little trip that we were on, and, and, you know, for years, like, death metal wasn't popular in the Bay Area. Like, you know, not only was it not super strong when we started out, when death metal was at its peak worldwide, but, you know, five years later when we were finally, you know, kind of getting to the point of being ready to get signed, it's like, there was no death metal really to speak of, you know, not, you know. <laughs> there was, like, Cannibal Corpse and Morbid Angel, and, like, that was it. <laughs> you know? <Right>. So <clears throat> we, we existed in a sort of weird bubble where we just had this kind of, I don't know, we had a very strange mentality that was very isolated and kind of by design, and people had a hard time relating to that, which makes sense, because Cole and I have known each other since we were like 11, and like we hung out, you know, when we were kids in high school, we hung out every single day after school, we were over at each other's houses, like we were, we were those guys, you know? So it was a very tight-knit, Thing, and it was difficult for us to find people that would fit into our preconception, you know. So, <laughs> so. Al Albert of Decibel Magazine writes about you guys in the Choosing Death book about how you guys were among the very few that sort of 
kept the the death metal alive that sort of carried it across the desert to the other side. <laughs> well, that's very nice. I actually haven't read the revised edition, but that's a very sweet thing to say. I just honestly never... I, I don't know. To me, like, I really resented bands that kind of, like, jumped ship, like, in any style. You know what I mean? Like, I didn't like when Forbidden made, you know, that those green and distortion albums in the 90s that were kind of, like, machine head sounding. Or, you know what I mean? Or, like, when the Exodus guys had that war dance band that was in the sort of same vein, you know? And, you know, when Creator made those records in the 90s that were more like goth metal or whatever, I don't even know what they were doing. You know, I, oh, I and really, then Death Angel became the organization. You remember right. that? Speaking hey, of Bay Area, they changed their name. So to me, I was like, "Cool, you changed your name." Like, okay, I don't like yeah. this band, but like, whatever. I like all kinds of music, man. I fucking, you know, I got Jackie Gleason easy listening records. I got fucking like twenty different Cocteau Twins albums. <laughs> you know, I get it. Like, I totally understand wanting to play other kinds of music. I have no problem with that. But it's when you take your band and you kind of, you know. Once your band is something to people, <clears throat> and you you just abandon that, you're kind of you're sh- kind of shitting on the people that support you. Whether or not you're staying true to yourself, you know, I mean, that's uh, that's something that only you'll know. You know, what I mean, like with the last Morbid Angel record, those guys probably really like it, and that really probably was a really honest record. But when you put out death metal records for twenty something years, and then you put out like a bad Marilyn Manson record, you know, it's a, it stings people. And so I always took that kind of stuff like very personally, you know, and I didn't want my band to change style. I still don't, you know. I mean, I still think that our records aren't so totally different than what we were doing back on our first demo. I mean, you know, they're better. Like, they have actual song structure and shit, and they're played in tune and on time. <laughs> but stylistically, it's not so unrecognizably different, you know. And I felt that... You know, so many bands that I liked that innovated death metal, like Death and Carcass or Entombed and, and Napalm Death, even in the 90s, they kind of turned their backs on the parts of it that I really liked, which was the more aggressive, you know, kind of stuff. And so we were always very stubborn in that way, you know? Like I said, uh, even talking about first hearing death, like putting things in a box, like I've always kind of had a compartmentalized way of thinking where, like, this is what this is what thrash metal is, blah, 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 blah. And maybe that's not particularly artistic to say, like, oh, I'm just expressing my inner vision or whatever. But it's like, if I'm in a death metal band, I want to fucking play death metal. If I'm in a thrash metal band, I want to play thrash metal. I don't want to, like, slowly turn into a progressive rock band. Like, I just don't want to do that. Um, and I totally, it's each their own, you know what I mean? Like, everyone has their own band, and you can do whatever you want with it. And that's totally fine. It's just, for me... I don't want to do that. Yeah, but Opeth <laughs> sucks now, right? <laughs> I never liked Opeth in the beginning, but I mean, oh, okay, I, think, right. yeah. I think Michael Ackerfeld has a great voice, so it's like a fantastic voice. Bloodbath fan. That's sort of like when that hot chick told Chuck he had nice eyes. Yeah. Hey, man. <laughs> you got nice eyes. You got a great personality. Yeah. You're really... <laughs> something. So, you got a nice voice, Michael. So why the... Why the so why why the uh, damn it you're making me laugh now? Uh, so why the choice to go back and re-record gore metal? I mean, so because kind of that being said, you know, it's like well, that's a, that's a moment in time. That's like sure. that metal. So why did why did you choose to go back and do that? Well, there's a few reasons. Um, number one 
was that I always saw that album suck. I mean, uh, I, I mean, fans are like that's that's one of those. I know, you know. <laughs> I totally get it. Like, I love Inside of Evil, and I'm sure when Tom Angel River hears that, he just hears all the off time drumming and everything. Um, and I love Welcome to Hell and Recapture Faction and all kinds of shit like that. I I get it 100. percent First reason is I think it's a shitty record. I think the songs are pretty decent, but I think the record stinks. Um, number two was that <clears throat> we, uh, our, the, van, the engine in our van blew up, and Relapse kind of stepped in like knights in shining armor and, and put a new engine in our van. Um, and even though the contract with them was done, we wanted to give them something else just to be like, hey, cool, thank you. This will make you a few grand back. Wow, that's an awesome story. That's that's an awesome story to hear a record label doing that. Yeah, I was really. I mean, they saved our asses. So, um, because it was the same tour where we didn't make it into Canada, so we lost about ten grand because of Canada. Uh, well, yeah, <laughs> which for a band like us is a pretty significant, you know, yeah. amount of money. Um, so it just we had a great time on that tour with Napalm Death and Municipal Waste, but. Financially, it was just a fucking disaster. We didn't get into Canada. Then the engine in the van blew up. It was just like, fuck. So we wanted to give Relapse something, you know, that was sellable and, you know, not just like a seven-inch or some, some, you know, we wanted to give them something that was substantial. And um, so that kind of made sense to, to do that project because we weren't anywhere near ready to do any record or anything like that. We just recorded Necrocracy at that time. So it made sense to do it that way, and at the time, it was coming up on the 15-year anniversary of the album, which, of course, passed. We recorded it in time to get it out for the 15-year anniversary, but because of the scheduling of Necrocracy and then everything else, it kind of kept getting pushed back, and then it came to a point where it was like, well, we're doing this relapse 25-year anniversary, so we're going to push it back a little further and do it for that, which I thought made a lot of sense. So it just kind of came about that way, but... The, the the cool thing for me uh, about it, and I don't know if I was thinking about it subconsciously or if it just was a very happy coincidence, but Cole and Ross and I, when we recorded the, that first album, we were like, we had, none of us really got along with each other, but we'd all been friends since high school and had been like really close friends. And, you know, like when you're 17, like your friends are everything. You know, when you're 40, you're like, oh yeah, it's my buddy. I just see him every once in a while. Who cares? Um, but like we were friends when it really counted, you know? And when we made the first Exhumed record, none of us were getting along, none of us liked the album, and then, you know, Ross was, you know, fired or kicked out or whatever from the band shortly thereafter. So it just was kind of like a sour note, you know? So, I mean, whether or not the album is sonically good or bad, for me, I guess, uh, what it represented in my own personal life was more of just like, hey... Remember these awesome friendships that just went to shit? Like, here's an audio document of it, and it sounds just as unfocused and crappy as that period in your personal life. Like, all right, great. And so going back and re-recording it in a way that everyone's happy with, I mean, even Cole, who hates everything, he's like the elitist death metal guy to the core. Even he liked it. He told me not to do it. He's like, that's a stupid idea. And we did it anyway, and he's like, all right, I like it. Um, <laughs> and even Ross, who hates almost everything. Even he's like the new cover and everything. And so to me, it's kind of personally, it's kind of taking a bad memory and then turning it into something positive that I feel better about. And it's kind of like, 
you know, helped Ross and I rekindle our friendship and, you know, actually, like, you know, being in a band is cool because it forces you to hang out with your friends, you know what I mean? Again, like, when you're an adult and people have wives and children and careers, you don't just hang out every day like you used to. Like, you need a reason to go somewhere. So being in a band is a good good way to, like, connect with your buddies, you know? That's awesome. <laughs> so for me, anyway, for me personally, it was very, it was a very cool thing. For the audience, I mean, some of them probably like it. Some of them probably think it sucks, and I, that's fair. I get it. Um, <laughs> I don't begrudge that to anybody. Well, I mean, you gotta you gotta at least give it up, you know, because Ross is on the on the the re-recorded, right? It, yeah, so, he did all the vocals. For I it. mean, you got. I mean, you got to get at least go there instead of like doing the Aussie. Let's 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 throw in a couple new people to record the <laughs> rhythm section or something. You know what I mean? Something well, that, like that. That that's done because of money. You know, yeah. basically they don't have to pay uh, Lee Kerslick and Rudy Sarzo like any mm-hmm. of those performance royalties yep. anymore. So that's just yeah. But Randy money. Rose doesn't cash checks like he used to. <laughs> well, I'm sure part of it goes to Randy Rose's estate, and you know, it would be incredibly bad PR for Sharon to try to, to cut them out. Uh, Something tells me still, Sharon is not scared of bad PR. <laughs> well, I mean, still, I mean, I think that that might even be too far, you know. And whatever awareness of reality Ozzy has, I'm sure he might think that that was kind of a fucked up idea as well. Yes, that's true. Um, it's just because he would, but the next morning he wakes up, he forgot what happened the day before. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, in today's society, right? You're completely outraged about something, and then the next moment you don't care about it anymore. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I saw this tweet that might be interpreted as racist out of context. Therefore, I'm so angry. And then the next day... The like, Star Wars just, trailer's out. Oh, whatever. Exactly. You know, like, like that lady that tweeted about, oh, I'm going to South Africa. I hope I don't get AIDS. Ha ha, I'm white. Just kidding or whatever. And like everybody jumped on it and got super mad at her. And then she like got fired from her job and all this stuff. And it's just like, wow. I mean, that was a dumb, insensitive comment, but it's like, person's nobody nobody knows her you know what i mean like her tweet was probably supposed to be seen by like 15 20 people and maybe get an inappropriate laugh and then it's like wow now this person has no job and you know what could have just been an offhand remark that we've all made off-colored statements that you wouldn't want repeated or that you regret you know every, i'm sure everyone has i know i have uh, Can anyway, you got any examples yeah what are some good examples I, I, that's why i don't repeat them <laughs> but i'm just saying you know like you say something that you shouldn't have, and you're like, fuck, I'm glad I didn't write that down. And it's like, you know, she made the mistake of writing it down, and then she gets fired from her job, and who knows, you know, what her situation is. Maybe she has kids or whatever, and it's like, oh, just because people want to be upset about something that has nothing to do with them, you know? <laughs> well, Matt, dude, it's okay. It hasn't been quite three hours yet, but, uh, uh, well, yeah, I, <laughs> but you know. Uh, I feel like we've barely tapped into his brain. I know, I know, barely. We get, we get, we get way more to go. I might have exaggerated earlier. <laughs> well, uh, dude, it's been great talking to you, man. Uh, gruesome. Uh, new record is called Savage Land, and also, of course, the Exhumed. The latest thing that's out is a uh, gore metal and necrospective, uh, ninety-eight to twenty fifteen. So, if you if you get a chance, Matt Harvey, thank you, dude. Hey, thanks, thank guys. you, Matt. I had a blast. Yeah,
subscribe to the Metal Sucks Podcast today.
song called Leather Crown Gallows is the name of the band, dude. I just heard that a couple days ago. I was like, I've got to play that because it's awesome. It's uh, it, it's pretty bad. It's a good it? track, but I, I got to say that Coliseum track that came out this week is pretty awesome. So whoever's in charge of Coliseum, will you please send us a copy? Of the <laughs> I, yeah, I don't have that track <laughs> yet. I, I know. Yeah, we asked. But I've heard it, you know, but sometimes uh, sometimes so they don't bad. give it to the radio people for some reason. But, you know, it's all good. Oh, that's crazy. We, we, that's I crazy. thought about yeah, playing the, at Bearded Ape. I thought about playing the <laughs> Slayer this speaks. week, too. So, you know, there was the Slayer option uh, that I yeah, that like we could have played that card, too. Yeah. Uh, that's a new that's i like the new slayer it's not bad right you know i yeah and it has me optimistic that slayer might make my top 10 list which i didn't no. even think was possible that will not happen i think it's possible now no well it, dude uh, look at the calendar it's april what else would you put on your top 10 list so far this year oh i've got I'm, i mean I, it's periphery and nothing else right no, now i've got plenty uh, i've got at least four or five so far okay well but i mean not, start, not, not like know, to blow, blowing the doors off or anything you know I'm, I'm, i've got four or five that i'm that i like quite a bit so okay. you know gallows is actually this this record is actually a lot is really good like it's really good I don't, but metal you know is a, it's a little punkier than than what i normally would go for on a, on a top 10 metal list you know what i mean but but yeah, I don't know that Slayer's going to make that list. Ooh, I'm, I'm optimistic after hearing this track. I mean, the other two tracks that they've uh, released uh, earlier yeah. recordings for, I was kind of like, meh. But this, I, I, it's a classic, awesome riff. And, you know, it, 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 this is the thing. If Kerry King can write a really great Slayer album, I, I think that, you know, most of us will be going Dave Lombard who? <laughs> and that would be really great. I don't know, man. If it's a stick in the mud sort of uh, same tempo thing, then we're gonna go Bostep. What the hell? What, why do we hire that guy again? We should have got Bill Ward. <laughs> yeah, but look at Bostep. The dude's thin as a rail, and he can play five times as fast. Oh, he's that's a guy who respects his his career, respects his fans. Well, he's also you know thirty years younger than Bill Ward. But never never mind. Now you got to quit depend, defending Bill Ward. I think everybody is thirty years younger. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I still. Oh, oh I was also going to tell you, dude. I, I've listened to the new Faith No More again. Uh huh. And Is again. And again. Uh-oh. And it's starting. Oh. Starting to grow on me a little bit. All right. So I've, yeah. uh, that might be something we have to bring in here at some point as well to uh, to, uh, to listen to that. Publicist of the world. I'm at Godless Speaks. <laughs> you know, I want to hear your stuff. You're also in <laughs> Ireland, so you know. Sorry. That's uh, it's not, how, not not how it works anymore. You're, you're yeah, gone. I'm looking, I, I was looking at no uh, such metal, thing as the internet. Metalireland.com, uh, you know, and uh, uh, which is a, a website, and they got like a, a conversation going on on the message board, and like everybody has downloaded that album illegally at this point. Oh, the Faith No More. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and I, I, I don't do that. You know, that's just not something I do. And and but it's it. it I'm feeling left out here. I think I think Fig No More are making a huge mistake by not releasing that album as soon as they could. Yeah, no. Well, I mean, I think they got to. They're trying to get the the pattern. You know, they're, they got to put it out, and then they got to do the have the tour plan and all that stuff. And bam, you know, it's, it's going to happen soon enough. But there's enough internet metal nerds out there that will that will give you their opinion beforehand. So it'll be okay. All right, we got to wrap this thing up, man. Uh, metal. 
Final Sucks podcast this week brought to you by Slipknot. Don't miss the second U.S. leg of Slipknot's Prepare for Hell tour with special guest Hatebreed kicking off April 25th in Fort Myers, Florida and running through mid-May. For full dates and ticket information, visit LiveNation.com. All right. Uh, make sure you're subscribed to Metal Sucks podcast on iTunes and all that good stuff. Just search Metal, Su- Metal Sucks podcast on iTunes. Leave us a couple of stars. Tell us that we suck. You can also get us, of course, every Monday at metalsucks.net and you can find us on the Twitter box I'm at Bearded Ape I'm at Godless Speaks and Facebook and you can find uh, my other show and stuff I'm at No Control Radio if you want to listen to metal you can do that uh, at NoControlRadio.com and all kinds of good stuff yes it will hurt your hurt your eardrums probably not as much as this show does sometimes (laughs) we just hurt your feelings more than your eardrums this week (laughs) 